Welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators Podcast. My name's Hannah Turnbull. And I'm Morgan Sinclair. We're two non-diet dietitians, entrepreneurs, and Enneagram 7s here to talk shop about the business side of things. From managing a team of clinicians, to building a cohesive brand, to figuring out how the heck to pay yourself, we get deep down in it talking about what it actually takes to start, run, and grow your weight-inclusive business. The good and the messy. We know your degree didn't include any business classes, at least not any applicable to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. This is why we are on a mission to bring business education to other weight-inclusive clinicians. Say sayonara to all the hours spent on Google and hello to information that is actually relevant. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, Weight Inclusive Innovators. Happy Monday. Today, we are going to be chatting about diversifying your income outside of the one-on-one work that you do, how to approach it, what it can look like, and when you shouldn't diversify your income. But before we dive into today's episode, we are going to do our usual check-in. Hannah, what were your business highs and lows of the week? Woo, what were my business highs and lows? I feel like there's been a lot of highs, which has been really nice. Um, I've just, I'll just focus on one, which was I got to give my presentation for EDRD Pro, uh, one of our favorite things in the space where they give CEUs and support to folks who are doing eating disorder work. It's really awesome. So I gave my presentation on building a values-based group practice, and it was received so well. I got so many emails and feedback from folks that said I crushed it, which I love, but I think mostly I I'm not in a brain space of like, Oh, it was about me. And I did awesome. It's really like the content was helpful for people. And it was a range of people from like group practice owners who felt validated by it. Um, clinicians who worked at group practices that said they felt like they were in the right place and they don't want to run a business. Um, and then solo clinicians either being like, yes, this was the information I needed or like this solidified that I'm going to stay in my own practice for a while. And I wanted to be really intentional in that presentation about just keeping it real of what it's like and not putting it on a pedestal. As we talk about a lot of the business space or private practices put on that, that pedestal of fantasy thinking and that it's all going to be dreamy when it's truly not. And TLDR, my presentation, you have to really want this. And if you really want this, it is worth it. I love that. As someone who attended the presentation, um, who has no desire to ever see clients again, (laughs) wanted to be there for support. It was so informative. I was shocked at all the information. And like, you're right. Like you didn't sugarcoat it in the best way possible. I also realized that if I ever did go see clients again, I would not want to have a group practice because it sounds like so much work on top of everything else. I love that you got so much feedback though, because it truly was such an incredible presentation. And I love that so many people and so many different points of entrepreneurship felt validated and heard and took so much away because you crushed it. Oh, thank you so much. I have been thinking about it a lot over the last couple of weeks and then reflecting on it after. When I first started thinking about what I'm going to present, I was like, oh my God, there's so many things. And I was a little overwhelmed of like, what do people need to know? What do they want to hear? So I feel like I was really intentional using my experience as a group practice owner and a group practice coach for what the people need to know and want to know. And I said it and spiked it, man. (laughs) It was awesome. If you're a member of EDRD Pro, 10 out of 10 recommend going to listen to the recording. Thank you. It was so, so good. 
It was so good. I've, I already sent it to so many people. I'm like, go listen to this. You're going to get so much out of it. My favorite part, I think, because it's a conversation that I have with people all the time is employees versus contractors. And that's something that I've always been so interested in on how you have done that. So getting to have a little bit of insight into how you do that versus like the norm here in Houston is I don't think a single group practice owner has employees. I think they're all contractors. And so it's just so foreign to me to hear that. And so getting to have your insight on that. And whenever you went through that list, I was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. Okay. That was the part I was honestly the most nervous to talk about because I know I ruffled some feathers. I know people feel very strongly one way or another about if they should do employees or contractors. And I just kind of made the decision of, I'm going to say my truth and what I believe in a business and values driven space. So I I think it's important. I think it's important though, to have both of those, because I imagine that if you were listening to a presentation on group practice and someone was so passionate about contract work, like your feathers might be a little ruffled too, in a really good way. It forces you to think about what is truly best for you in the business and not be afraid to like lean into the scariness of actually being in charge of employees. So yes, yes, snaps to that. And I am a person that I know you are too, where we want to hear different opinions and things and thought processes. And that's how we learn and grow. And that's okay. It's okay for people to do things differently. You just have to be really intentional about what you're doing and why, if it's fear-based being curious about that, because that's what I see a lot of. Yeah. So overall really great high of the week. If you have, if you're a member of EDRD pro, please go listen to it. It's incredible. What about your low? So. May I add one last thing to my high that I'm like, why didn't I pick this? My website fucking launched. Oh my God. You're (laughs) I didn't even think to add that to your high either. What? No. Well, it feels like this week was the longest week of my life. So I'm like, was that even this week? Um, so my official business consulting, insurance consulting group practice membership that will be launching later this year is up. It's called valuesdrivengroup.com, which feels very encompassing of everything I could ever want to be doing. And Morgan designed it. It is incredible. It was such a fun process to like get to go through the branding and the website and the strategy with you and then to see it come to fruition and, and just be really proud of what was made. So it is awesome. Definitely go to my website. I also created a free download Yeah, you did your Enneagram type and how that interacts with business and leadership. So at minimum, go check that out because I worked really hard on it. And I I think I provided a lot of good content. I just typed that into my high too. It deserves to be added to both of our highs. It It totally deserves it. Such a fun launch. Setting up all the systems behind the scenes was so fun for me. I don't know if it was that fun for you. There's a lot of extra work for you. It was fun for me to have you tell me what to do for the systems. And then like, I feel like you were holding all of that. And I was just, I was following the directions and I really liked that. And you should definitely have systems work as part of your offerings because the flow charts you made, the instructions you gave me, like, holy shit saved me actually so much time. Like, I know you think it took me a lot of time, but I was frozen in what to do and where to go next. So your flow charts and systems was Chef's kiss. Could you, I wonder if you could hear that on the pod. Chef's kiss. 
Okay. So we'll revisit the high when you talk about your highs, but my low this week is I'm not going to use overwhelm because I did that the last two weeks. My low is my stats class. I am taking statistics in my master's for organizational leadership. I'm learning a lot. It's really fucking hard. I'm not going to lie. My brain doesn't work in that way. Side note. Well, if you listen to my business story episode, you know that I used to think I was going to be an accountant and I started in business school, which we are full circle. I found out the way I wanted to be involved in business. And I did not know myself clearly because I, I like numbers to some capacity, but so much calculating and probability and hypothesis. I can't even tell you what I'm learning right now, but luckily the homework is like unlimited tries and then you get the correct answer. It'll tell you, it won't give you the correct answer, but you just, when you get it, you're like, okay, so that's how I do it. I literally worked on it for three hours last night. (gasps) Yeah. So (laughs) if you have any tips for, navigating statistics in a more efficient way, send it my way because that was so painful, but I'm learning a lot and I'm doing well in the class actually, which is fine, (laughs) but, um, I don't like the content TBH. Oh gosh. I remember we had to take, did you have a statistics class in your undergrad too? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Cause I, I was like, I've heard some of these terms before and I'm having a trauma response. Like (laughs) I, this has been in my life somewhere. Yeah, we had to take a statistics class in my undergrad. And honestly, I probably hated that more than OCHEM. Hated statistics. It was Whoa. awful. I know. Whoa. So okay, I am, we need to I, have a poll. We need to put a poll on Instagram. Did you hate OCHEM more or did you hate statistics? It's happening. We are for sure putting that on Instagram. I will make sure it is on there when this launches. It. And I can only imagine that a master's level statistics class is even worse. I don't even want to think about that. The one thing that's getting me through is it's business statistics. So I've been able to use a lot of examples from my practice when we have like a discussion board. So um, one that I used was something along the lines of uh, if we took a survey and let's say 45% of people want to do telehealth versus in person, um, what size sample do we need to validate that stuff like that. So it is applicable and that's why they want you to learn it. So it's very intentional. It's still fucking hard, but you have some real life example to throw in there though. So that probably makes it a little bit better. Yes. If you tell me why I'm doing this and I can see the benefit, I'm all for it. But I feel like in undergrad, when we did stats, it's like, why? Or when we did algebra, we're like, why? Yes. I don't know. I really liked algebra. I always, I've always loved math classes. Statistics was not it though. (laughs) I feel like it's a whole different kind of math. It definitely is. Tell me about your highs and lows. So obviously had to add launching your website as one of the highs. It's been in the works for a while now. We finished the branding and then we made some last minute changes to make it flow a little bit better for the users that are visiting it, which is super exciting. But I feel like we literally met last week. And then we're like, okay, let's make these changes, get all these systems in place. And we cranked that shit out in like three business days. I'm so, so proud of us in a way where the website still, it's so good. It's not, that sounded really pompous because I'm the one who designed it. No, it's so good. Please own it. We need more people. I think about this all the time. We need more people owning the fact that they're good at shit. Like when I was giving my presentation, I felt 
awesome. Like I know what I'm talking about and that's okay. Why is that? That doesn't have to be pompous. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I built a very strategic website for you that I'm excited on how that is going to just take and grow your business. I'm excited and, for you. Thanks for letting me be a small part of it. Uh, you're a big part of it. Um, I also think the fact that you're so like, this is so good. This is awesome. Me as your client for design work and branding work, right? I, th- I feel good that you think it's so good too. You know, like you should feel that way. It shouldn't just be like, ah, oh, it's all right. That's not going to make me feel like I'm going to be like, oh, is this good? Yeah. So you're it. right. I didn't thought of it that way either. For sure. For sure. So that was definitely a high of this week. I have a second high, which was my original high, but the website probably trumps this one. So we'll take that for what it is. I am involved in two conferences right now. One I'm hosting on February 26th. So it'll have happened two days before this podcast goes live. So I've been planning that one for the last nine months with another dietitian here in Houston. It's for the Houston eating disorder specialist, and it's specifically for the community. So people recovering from eating disorders, their support team and other clinicians that just want to learn more about eating disorders. That is so cool that it's not just like one audience of like clinicians. It's everybody that's ever been touched by an eating disorder. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. We did our, the first time we ever did a conference specific for that group of people was, uh, February of 2020. And it was such a fun conference. I'm so, so excited that we were able to replicate it again this year. And then the, the years in between we do our professional conferences, but I'm excited to keep this community conference. I think it's just so needed to provide a space. Jenny Schaefer, author of life without ed is our keynote speaker. Ooh. Yeah. We were very intentional to have all of our speakers and panelists be in Texas. And she's she lives in Texas. And we just wanted it to, you know, feel supportive of that Texas community as well. So oh, I love intentionalities like that. That is so fucking cool. I can't wait for you to tell us all about it on the pod. Yes. Next time. You'll be doing a solo episode next because I'll be in the midst of conference stuff. But then yeah, after that, it. I will report back. Anyway, so Part of that, I'm hosting that conference. And then I'm also in charge of creating all of the conference marketing material for another company that I'm working for called Superbill. They're going to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, ADAA conference in Denver. Actually, you should connect with them in March. Holy shit. Yeah, that'd be so fun. So I am putting together or put together all of their, most of their booth material. And I'm really pumped about it because I basically got full creative reign on putting together marketing materials. And I was inspired by wedding invitation suites. And so you'll basically get to go up to their booth and like pull an envelope and you'll open it up. And it's going to be all the different pieces of their business with like QR codes and great graphics. And it's all branded. So good. I will for sure be posting a picture of it on Instagram as soon as I get them back. So we've been in content creation mode for both those conferences because we're also creating all the content for the Heads Conference. I sent all of that off to get printed earlier this week, and it feels so good to know that I'm going to be getting all of that back next week in a timely manner. It was so fun to create. I am on a first-name basis with one of the UPS store owners here in Houston who has just done a phenomenal job with printing stuff for me for the last few years. And I just like know it's in good hands and know it's going to come back to me perfectly. So I'm pumped for that. That was definitely a high this week. 
Oh my God. That is so cool. I, your creative brain and content development. I'm just like, wow, that is amazing. My brain doesn't work in that way. Honestly, I hate creating content. I love words and I love speaking to things. So like when you do branding and the branding you did for my website, I'm like, Ooh, I know what colors I'm going to use in font. And I don't have to think about that stuff. I can just focus on my words, but the, your ability to, to like think through like, Oh my gosh, it's like a wedding invitation with all these cute little things. And like, that's going to bring an element of joy to people. And, you know, it's not just a boring ass piece of paper flyer. That's like, here you go. So, oh, so cool. And I can't imagine how amazing that feeling of like, okay, I've done my part. It's as good as it, it is. And it's awesome. And boop, now it just needs to print. Yeah. Thank you for that compliment. I appreciate it. It's fun to see all of that come to life on both like the branding side and also getting to create stuff and have it printed. So I just think it's cool how diverse your role as a brand strategist, designer, web designer is too. Like who knew you could do this stuff? Like you're creating content for conferences and like literally the physical content, not just the words. It's the perfect way to lead into our topic today of diversifying income. First, I'm going to talk about my low, but you know, ties in really nicely to that for sure. So my low for this week, I got fired by a client. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And I just, I wanted to bring this up because I've been with other clinicians when they've told me like one of my eating disorder clients fired me and you hold space for them and validate because it fucking sucks. It doesn't feel good. I it, it creates this space for you to question yourself and your ability to do this work. And so I wanted to just name that here. And like mine's a little different because it was for design work and not for an eating disorder client, but it happens in all different spaces. And so it's, I'm, I learned a lot from it. It allowed me to reevaluate how some of the things in my business are structured. And I'm really thankful it did because nothing, you know, the phrase, like, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Nothing ever seemed broken in my business. And then something, a part of my business was called to my attention that I had just kind of neglected because it had never really been a problem. And it allowed me to really reflect on that and actually make changes in my business because of it. And so ultimately it, you know, ended the best way that it could, but it was just, it was a really great learning curve. I definitely questioned, I questioned my ability as a designer, but it was so interesting because that was happening at a time that you and I were also working together. And so to get feedback from you, kind of like what we've already talked about and the great work we've done together, it was hard to hold space for both of that. Around that time, I took two days off from working on your stuff because I was like, I just need us to step away from design work for a few days so I can come back with a really fresh creative space and and make sure that my brain's still on for other clients. Mm. I have two thoughts. One is... It reminds me there's some saying, I can't remember exactly what it is, as we never do, Um, (laughs) but it's like you can have 100 positive reviews of people telling you shit's awesome and amazing. That one negative fucks your world up. Yeah, it does. That's a really good analogy for the feeling of what it's like to be fired by a client. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And then to speak to, I know you differentiated of like, well, it's different because it's not an eating disorder patient. It's a design work client. The core feeling that you get of fill in the blank of whatever you're feeling would, would still be the same. It's like a a rejection or a questioning of yourself and your capabilities. So absolutely makes sense that it's, it sucks and it happens to all of us, all of us. Yeah. And that's why as soon as it happened, I, you know, I'm so thankful for an incredible network of other people who have gone through similar feelings. And I was able to call a friend and be like, dude, this sucks. They're like, I get it. It sucks. Like, what do you need? You need to vent. You want some feedback? My favorite question to ask people and to be asked. And I was like, no, like, thanks for holding space for that. Because and then, you know, I, I'm a verbal processor, so I talked it out and then I felt, like I said, it ended the best way it could. And so I, I honestly felt okay at the end of the day, but definitely impacts you a bit, even if that's, even if that's what's the best. And it's, I think it's also just a reminder that like, we're not going to be the best fit for every single person in anything that we do. And that's okay. It's kind of an ego blow, but it's Okay. Absolutely. I appreciate your thoughtfulness around how to talk about this too and how you and and part of it is like having processed it and you know just the peace you have around it and there's no malintent on any sides. It just is what it is and it happens and totally. You move totally. forward. Should we dive in? Let's dive into today's topic. We are talking about diversifying income, which is kind of a, a buzzword that I always see in like ads on Instagram of like diversify your income, passive. Um, so we're here to talk about it and put it in terms of the things that we see people doing in the field, what you could do, all that good stuff. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I feel like it absolutely is a buzzword right now. Whenever I see it being talked about on social media, on people's offerings, I feel like it's diversify your income. That's always tied with passive income, Mm -hmm. usually. And passive income is presented in a way where like, you don't really have to work, make money while you sleep. That's why it's a buzzword because who wouldn't want to make money while they sleep? And there's definitely aspects of that, but we're going to keep it 100% real with y'all and talk about all of the work that it takes to diversify your income and making sure that it is not given to you on a gold platter, like Hannah would say. Yes. I always think about when I see those ads, they just, it, it ties me back to when people are like, take my 10 week coaching program. And you'll make six figures. It's like, cool, you might make six figures, but why does that have to be the selling point? This, all the stuff we do, especially in our field, that's very therapeutic. It's not enough for the fucking money. It's not, you have to really want to do this. There is something about people offering a set amount of money that you're going to make by the end of things that gets under my skin so much. I know we're differentiating from diet culture, but I feel like it's really similar because if you, if someone's like, by the end of this program, you'll make $6,000. And then if you don't make $6,000, you're fucking blamed for it. Screw that shit. Oh my God. I'm heated. 
It's so true. <sighs> I feel hot. Like I'm wearing a sweater, so it probably doesn't help, but I'm like, I just sort of sweating. It, it's so true. It's literally the diet culture of, and it's predatory. Like, of course people want to make money. We have to make money to take care of ourselves and live and to tie creating a course to making money and that being the driver, it's going to be shit content. It's going to be a shitty ass course. And then it's, it's blaming the person who took the course that they should have, they should, right? Should, they should have been able to make the money. Other people have done it. Blah, 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 blah. Like, why can't you? Meh, 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 meh. Ugh, we hate it. Blah. Hate, loathe entirely. <laughs> loathe. Hannah sent me a text yesterday that was like, we were talking about it just in a, what in a slump we were yesterday. And she was like, hate, loathe. And I instantly picked up on her fabulous Grinch <laughs> reference. I sent it back the Grinch meme. You did. And I did put it in our newsletter this week. Indeed, I did. So. You did put it in the newsletter. So with diversifying income, whenever we decided to talk about this today, we both approached it from kind of different perspectives. So the first thing that Hannah mentioned was it's a way to scale your business, mm-hmm. which is absolutely true. And I am going to pass the mic to her to talk about that a little bit. Where I was thinking of it, which I think this also just goes of like goes to show where we're at in our businesses. Because I feel like while my business is growing, I'm not at a point where I'm thinking about scaling pretty quickly. Um, And you're definitely in a space where you're ready for that and and actively working on it. I view diversity as living in alignment with my values of being a multi-passionate entrepreneur, which Mm -hmm. I feel like I've said that exact phrase on pretty much every single episode. We're going to throw it in this one too. Being able to diversify my own income through a bunch of different projects just feels really good for me. I get really bored with the monotonous work and the, in the day-to-day and I know you do too. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, we'll chat about that, but that's kind of where I'm at right now is I feel like I'm still kind of in this like really fun, playful exploring stage of what types of projects are available for me, knowing that I like design and strategy work within the eating disorder mental health, weight inclusive space. Okay. As you were explaining that, I was thinking about my businesses and the different stages they're in. And for me, and I really relate to the multi-passionate part too, as you know, I don't know if I can extrapolate them from each other because scaling my business has supported me in pursuing other things. And that is why I do what I do one piece of it anyway, just that I so value wanting to do a bunch of different things and wanting to do what I want to do. So I don't want to have to do X, Y, Z because I need to make money. I will do that. But my ultimate goal is to get everybody into the role they want to be in that supports our business, that supports me as well, right? As it should, so that I can do all the things that I want to do. I know you go through this in your business story, but can you give us a brief rundown of that timeline and when that switch happened? If there was a switch, because I feel like I'm definitely in the part where like there's certain projects that I'm doing that I a year from now don't want to be doing, but I'm doing them because they're financially supporting me right now. Mm-hmm. And so can you, yeah, I would love to see your timeline of kind of what that looked like and how you've managed to scale thus far. I would love to. 
I'm going to do the two minute version that really highlights the roles I was doing and the timeline that I did them for. That sound good? Perfect. Love it. Awesome. Okay. So I started in solo practice and I'm doing air quotes because I literally had a website and I had one client, um, in the fall of 2017. And I was, I had a blog and I was just starting to play with taking clients and I literally fumbled through it because I didn't know what I was doing. And then May of 2018, I moved out to Denver and I was like, okay, I'm going to get serious about growing this thing. And in that time I was like, okay, cool. I need some kind of part-time job. If you listen to my story, you know, I moved out with the person I was dating at the time and Luckily he was a travel nurse. So I didn't really have any expenses because his company paid for our rent, which was incredible. And I mean, that's an, a huge privilege of, I didn't have any loans. I didn't have any big expenses. I didn't need to make that much money. So I was like, Ooh, I'm going to get a fun job, like something very chill and just something mindless. So I got a job at the ice cream shop and I was probably working there 10, 15 hours a week usually evening, some daytime, and just scooping ice cream, lifting heavy buckets of ice cream, serving customers, making tips. It was super fun. And then during the day when I was working nights at the uh, ice cream shop, then I would be working on my business and networking and marketing and getting supervision so I could actually do the work in an ethical way because I'd never had any official eating disorder training. And so I did that for eight months eight months I straddled ice cream shop plus private practice. Um, I went from having like one client to being around 15 to 18. And that's when I took the leap of like, okay, no more ice cream shop. I still want to keep growing. I can't do both of these things. Ice cream shop's not worth it as much as anymore time to jump ship from that. So stopped the ice cream shop in January, 2019, my practice blew up and I, I was seeing you know, one-on-one clients only. And I was like, okay, cool. Like what's next? I need something, something to get me excited. So I hired my first employee in August of 2019. And then I just kept adding people every three to four months from there. So I won't go into the dates too much, but up to date, which this is 2022, February, 2022, we have eight dietitians. We're about to have nine. And that's kind of the trajectory of the clinician to group practice in building different pieces of revenue, which we'll get into a bit later, but that was me scaling nourish Colorado is hiring more clinicians in that time of hiring more clinicians too. We moved people into leadership so that I could step out a little bit to pursue other things. And that's when I started doing business coaching in my business offerings. So that's a short version. Thank you for that. I, that's helpful. Whenever you were moving from solo to group, like that very, the time when you hired your first employee, was it more so I'm getting so many referrals, I need another dietitian to support? Or was it, was there the mindset of, I know I don't want to be spending all my time each week seeing one-on-one clients and I want to start doing other things? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Both. Both. It's both. And Part I fucking love client work. I, I love sitting in a room with people and talking to them and getting to hear their stories and hold all the space and and give them little nuggets of wisdom. That's one of my favorite things. And I do that in many different ways in my life. And I really love to do many different things and have different parts of my brain working and be involved in so many projects and just always learning and growing. It's like a hunger, always hungry. 
couldn't relate more. I'm the same way. I I constantly like being challenged in new ways. I most appreciate it when there's some stability with finances. I am quickly realizing that full vulnerability moment of like where I'm a year and three, two months, three months now into working for myself. And if I don't have financial stability, everything else in my life feels pretty dang chaotic and it sucks. Mm -hmm. And I know there's always going to be some element of not having financial consistency because you work for yourself and the work is kind of based on clients. But I think that's why there's a part of diversifying that income to make sure there's always consistent consistency in at least one part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, yeah. The more streams of revenue asterisk to a certain extent helps provide stability because if one fails or whatever, you still have the other ones that are supporting you. And for me, that's how it was both scaling my business and also multi-passionate. So scaling my business and adding streams of revenue, AKA employees allowed for more stability for the business. So I could pursue other things and know our expenses were going to be covered. I was going to get paid something Mm -hmm. and could keep going from there. Yeah. It's so interesting to to see because I definitely, I mean, you've been an entrepreneur, full-time entrepreneur a few years longer than I have. And so definitely like I look up to that, you know, getting to look at someone a few steps ahead of you, even though we're doing a little bit of different work. Because I feel like right now I'm definitely in the multi-passionate stage. And I, I, I feel like my brain's fully able to separate them <laughs> because I feel like the past year and a half, two years, the type of work that I've been doing has constantly shifted. Even within branding and web design, I, whenever I first started, I put such a big emphasis on the design piece of it and making sure everything look, looked aesthetically pretty. Since then, I've switched it because there's definitely way more power with the strategy, both for branding and web design and marketing and all of that. So even that shifted a little bit, but I feel like right now, well, I feel good in those services and I feel very knowledgeable and on my game and confident with them. There's still certain pieces of new projects where I want to go that feels like throwing wet spaghetti noodles at a wall and seeing what fully works. And I've gotten, I've definitely gotten some really good insight over the last few years, which I think is part of diversifying your income, right? You like, you have to do the thing and trial and error it and kind of like AB test it. If we're going to throw some business language in there and see what works before you're like, this is a really solid product. Now I can scale it. And I think I'm, it'll be fun to listen back on this because right now what I feel like that is it's I've been doing one-on-one branding, web design, strategy work. And my kind of three-year vision is for all of that one-on-one knowledge to become the Weight Inclusive Business Academy. But I still feel like I'm just fine-tuning a few of those pieces to make sure that the Weight Inclusive Business Academy is the absolute best it can be. Something that's come up a lot this week, and this might be a little bit of a tangent, so feel free to like roll me back in. It started with your EDRD Pro webinar, and I've heard it three more times since then. So I'm taking this as a sign from the universe. Something that's been holding me back with scaling the Weight Inclusive Business Academy is making sure that I provide information that's valuable to private practice owners, but I've never owned a private practice. 
And Mm. so what you mentioned in your webinar is make sure that you're getting information from someone who knows what they're talking about, who has been there, done that. And so I'm like, well, I've never owned a private practice. And at the same time, I know that I am incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to branding, marketing, design, and business strategy, even though I've never owned a private practice. There's so I'm trying to figure out like where that intersection is because there's some really awesome resources out there for clinicians like Values Driven Group who are providing information on what it's like to run a private practice. And that's not my problem to chime in on because I've never done that before. Well, and I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know if that would be the most relevant experience for you to have being a clinician and having a private practice to do design and web and marketing. You know the industry, you meet with a bunch of different practitioners all the time for the many different things you do. Even just interacting with you is like a benefit of like like a marketing, like even just talking to you and knowing you because you're so connected. So take that plus the amazing work you do because you know the industry, you've learned design and all that good stuff. Like, of course you've done the work. You're not, you know, you're not just like, we, let me hop into this accounting industry and see if I can build a website for them. Like, right. Right. And I, and I think like that's, I love that all of this is converging in my mind right now. Feeling like I needed to talk about private practice has always been a weight on my shoulders that stopped me from scaling the Weight Inclusive Business Academy. And I heard it loud and clear universe this week that I don't need to be talking about that. Nope. And I can still provide valuable information that will be applicable to your private practice, but I don't need to talk about finding space to rent and creating new patient forms. Like I don't need to be doing that. Not a part of, not... (laughs) I'm going to say this phrase out loud because it's a TikTok sound that's been on my mind so much this week. Not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> Private practice is not my circus. Yes, I'm knowledgeable about it because that's just the space that I'm in. I do talk to clinicians all the time, but I think that's where the disconnect has been from being multi-passionate. And there's that, there's been that barrier to prevent that's been preventing me from being able to scale it. Cause I feel like I have to know and do mm. all of it. Mm but I realized this week that I don't. So we'll see what comes of this new realization. Uh, Yes. I, I, I feel like it's going to be groundbreaking for you to, to continue chewing on this um, because you're supporting people in private practice, not doing work in their business, but work on their business. You have a business, you have a business, you work on a business. You've created a way to work for yourself that is a business and supports you. So even that knowledge can be applied. I just therapized myself with your support. Thank you for holding space for that. (laughs) We're getting like live, real time. I just put all of those pieces together. So you saw it here, folks. Morgan had a breakthrough. It's here. It's here. I will have to pin this episode and check back in six months to see what happened. (laughs) bringing it back to diversifying your income. I have hopes to diversify my income with the Weight Inclusive Business Academy. So I guess it's kind of related, but we'll take a few steps back. And we want to talk about what other ways diversifying your income can look like. Well, Morgan, we did not hear about the ways that you diversify your income right now. 
I spoke to how I came to the things that I do. Would you like to share? Sure. Yes. Think of all of these as spaghetti noodles sticking to a wall right now. So I, first and foremost, run Morgan Sinclair Designs, which I know we've, I feel like I've gone through all of my businesses for a while. All of them, I would say, come back to marketing and strategy in some way, shape, or form. Morgan Sinclair Designs is my primary source of income working one-on-one with clients around either design work with branding and web design or strategy if they're looking to diversify their incomes and just want some knowledge around what that could look like or putting strategies in place that'll best systems and strategies in place that'll best support their business. I have the Weight Inclusive Business Academy, which there are a few courses up for that right now. More coming soon. I have the Eating Expedition, which I think I, I kind of want to classify that one more as a passion project right now because I'm not making any money from it, nor do I plan to for at least another year. Like I won't be making any money off the first trip. I don't think I don't plan to. So it'll all go back into the business. So we'll count that as a passion project. I am working for Superbill, which has been so fun. I was brought on as their marketing strategist. It is, they have a few other people doing some of the design work, putting together the website, which honestly is kind of like a breath of fresh air to not have to worry about that as well. I literally just get to create marketing content and put together their marketing strategy. It's me. And then their two co-founders are software engineers. And so it's, they're brilliant. They're so smart building out the technology for this business. I am totally amazed by them. I bring the, I feel like I bring the creativity, marketing strategy, and knowledge of the industry in. And so it it's really fun to get to collaborate in that way. I think those are all of the things that are making me money right now. There's a few other things that I do on the side. So like the Heads Conference, but that's a nonprofit I sit on the board for. I'm not getting paid to do that. Um, and then we'll count Weight Inclusive Innovators as a passion project right now because we're not getting paid yet. Yet. We will be soon. And then it'll get to be a, a revenue source. Yes, yes. We did announce last. Oh, we did, didn't we? That we do have a sponsor. We do have a sponsor. It is the Super Bill. You heard it here. (laughs) Yes, yes. We'll just plug them this whole episode because yes, getting to work with them has been a dream. It's been so fun. They're really awesome, and that's the thing too. And and we mentioned this when we talked about sponsors last time. We're only going to collaborate with people that it's mutually beneficial. And that we think are a valuable resource for our listeners. We're not here to sell out. We're not sellouts. No, we're not. Heck no. We do the shit for free. We would still do it for free, but it's nice to get some of the expenses offset. It is for sure. Also going to put in a little plug here. We do have an account on Buy Me a Coffee. So if you like what you hear, scroll to the bottom of our website and you can like buy us a coffee. Yeah. Just shoot us like five bucks. Yeah. Great. We'd love that. I love getting paid in coffee. Some of my friends in Houston that I've done some design work for <laughs> paid me. I'm like, just pay me, just buy me a coffee. <laughs> we love coffee. Yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you for sharing all the things you do. I think that's so fun to just have all your hands in the cookie jars and you never know what opportunity is going to come next. And I just think that's cool. Like you don't know what you don't know. You could never have anticipated that you'd be collaborating with the Super Bowl, right? Ever. And that's another revenue stream. It is another revenue stream. It's we'll have to record an episode on networking because that's how this came to be. Mm-hmm. Is knowing people. Like I knew a therapist who knew a therapist that was working for Super Bill who reached out to me 
And now, yeah, never would have. And that was back in summer of 2021. Never imagined I'd be doing marketing work for them um, with a totally different business model than what we originally talked about last summer. So really cool. Definitely perks of networking and being open to new opportunities. All the hands and all the cookie jars. Yes. Nice variety. So let's give some more general examples to our listeners around the different kinds of businesses that we see, the different opportunities for um, revenue streams, not to be confused with passive income. Barely any of what we're going to say is passive. It's passive. We have more feelings about passive. But let's start with like a solo practitioner, a clinician who works for themselves or in their own practice. Obviously, their main revenue stream is one-on-one work. What else could they do? Yeah. So just having talked to some clinicians, because you know, I'll talk to things that I've seen other people do just because I'm not working as a clinician anymore. So I think you'll probably have some really good insight on this. But a few things that I've helped people do some like networking strategy around is being able to go give presentations in other communities. Um, I would say corporate wellness has been one getting to go talk to, uh, yeah, some like larger companies about intuitive eating and healthful eating patterns and talk around food in the workplace has been really cool. Getting to go talk to, man, I'm really going to talk about from the south, how from the south I am, like debutante school (laughs) (laughs) with high schoolers. Um, there's like paid opportunities to go talk to, yeah, like middle schoolers, high schoolers about their developing relationship with food, getting to go talk to school counselors and present on that. So I would say giving presentations while talking about intuitive eating health at every size and the work that we, we, the work that you and other clinicians do on a day-to-day basis seeing clients. What else would you add? I would say just to go back to how I started having another job that is completely out of the realm, because I know my intention with that was I didn't want to burn out. I had offers, job offers from treatment centers that wanted to underpay me. And so I made more money at the ice cream shop. So I said, no, you made more money at the ice cream shop than the treatment center wanted to pay me. Yep. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. Sure did. Those tips, Wowza. they be. Ah, yep. That's right. That's right. That's Mm -hmm. definitely a conversation I've had with people too. And it's, it's people who jump into private practice and then maybe realize that they do want to itch another part of their brain. And I think that can look like adding on some other things that we're going to talk about, or it could be like, if you're working with high acuity eating disorder clients for a good chunk of your caseload, like don't take on as many and then go get a job at a coffee shop or an ice cream Mm -hmm. shop or something, some other place where it's not to undermine the work that you would do in those, but it's a little bit more mindless work than having to be on working with eating disorder clients. Yeah. And I, okay. So I'm imagining it could be argued like, well, I won't make as much money. And this is where we come back to when we're talking about business stuff, we're not talking, we're not selling like do this so that you make six figures or anything like that. Cause we know money does not equal happiness asterisk. I understand that people have to make a certain amount of money to feel okay, feel stability. And like money allows for things and time and other resources. But at the end of the day, I talk to so many people not in our industry who are like, 
in software and tech and they just grind in hopes that they can retire early and then enjoy their time versus doing a job that maybe pays a little bit less that they actually would thrive doing. We spend so much time working. Why not do something you really want to do? Bringing it on back to values-based living and Mm -hmm. working. Mm -hmm. Making Mm -hmm. decisions for you and the business based on your values. And I think you made a really good point of not getting burnt out. The last thing we need is eating disorder clinicians who are really fucking good at what they do getting so burnt out that they totally leave the industry. It happens all the time. Not to say that if you're unhappy, you shouldn't leave the industry because that was me. I loved the work that I did. I just felt a different calling. But Mm -hmm. burnout, avoiding it at all costs because this is a group of brilliant, incredible, compassionate human beings that the last thing we want is for burnout to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, you're just supporting people in a secondary way. You're not doing the direct work, but you're still serving clients like one Kevin Bacon removed. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> Great reference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. So yeah. So if you're a solo clinician or working just as a clinician, maybe even in a group practice, those are a few ways to add on, just adding on other services outside of seeing clients full-time. Yes. I will tell you as someone who employs clinicians, many of my clinicians have worked other jobs while they build their caseload. We've had people work at REI. We've had people work at coffee shops, things like that. And it can be a means to an end until you build your caseload to where you want it to be. And that leads to my last point about solo clinician. If you fucking love the work and that's all you want to do, that is fine. You do not have to create other streams of revenue. There are tons of clinicians that just want to do the work and go home. And Their other streams of revenue are the things that bring them joy in their life, like their families and their hobbies. It's not always monetarily brought to you. Great point. Definitely a good disclaimer to add in there that if that's truly what brings you joy, like all the power to you, do it. That's here for you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the next category that we wanted to talk through on what it can look like to diversify your income is group practice. And I am passing the microphone to you, Hannah, because I don't really have anything to bring to this topic. Hello, it is me, your group practice bestie, who will cover this. Um, So obviously the main stream of revenue that you get from having a group practice is hiring clinicians. Um, Every time you hire an employee, that's a stream of revenue. And what's really important to think about that from a business standpoint is the more employees you have, when the demand is there and the clients are there and everybody's getting the caseload they want, if something happens where somebody has to leave or someone drops off or they want to go on maternity leave or uh, family leave, then it doesn't really hurt the business too, too much versus if you just had one employee, you bought all these expenses and then they're gone. So employees, streams of revenue or hiring clinicians in general. Um, also being a supervisor in a group practice that is in a way a stream of revenue for I'm imagining a clinician that works at a group practice and then they get promoted or step up to leadership where they're getting paid for their supervision time. So they're getting diversified income from still seeing clients while also doing supervision. People in the group and the group practice owner can do different presentations in the community for money and different streams of revenue. Um, there's also groups. And then It goes back to what we were talking about of like doing the thing. If you have a clinician at your group practice who's supervising at your group, 
eventually you could kind of pitch them to the community and do supervision in other ways for other clinicians who are maybe in their own solo practice or whatnot. So there's a lot of different opportunities here. And when we talk about supervision, specifically, if people are working towards their CEDRD or CEDS, I guess we're all going to be CEDSs now, which is the Certified Eating Disorder Specialist, then that's a way of making revenue too, because you can charge for supervision and people are required to get that supervision in order to have the credential, which asterisk side note, it it's hard and financially unattainable for a lot of people. So I do just want to acknowledge that. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are all really great ways to see the trajectory of yeah, doing supervision, hiring clinicians, being able to diversify within a group practice, not just you as the group practice owner, but even the clinicians within the group practice. Mm-hmm. Kind of related to both a solo clinician and a group practice, but we felt it was important to have its own category is being able to provide continuing education. And we'll say continuing education specifically to the work that we do as clinicians. So being able to provide groups, memberships, and courses to people who are looking to better their relationship with food, bodies, all of the work that we do. And that can just be running local groups. It can be running virtual groups, doing a monthly membership, and maybe going through different parts of intuitive eating, or maybe, you know, throwing it back to one of our last episodes of having a niche, getting to, you know, maybe you're working with eating disorder clients one-on-one, but you're really passionate about PCOS and getting to create a support group or a course around that for people who are just wanting to learn more. I would say also part of the continuing education, which I know Hannah just kind of touched on a little bit, is getting to provide that said supervision to other clinicians and support support more clinicians in getting the appropriate eating disorder knowledge that's needed in order to be an ethical clinician. Absolutely. And speaking to the CEU part in particular, you know, dietitians love CEUs, therapists love continuing education as well. Um, so you can sell your knowledge and the things that you've accumulated from doing the work and same thing with supervision. If you're giving supervision, you can actually count that for, um, CEUs. Did you know that? I did know that. Also, if you're a preceptor to dietetic interns, you can get CEUs. Whoa. I did not know that. Yeah. I haven't gone through the process yet, but I always get, uh, there's one internship program here in Texas that I'm contracted with. And they always send out like at the end of the internship, be like, don't forget to log your hours of being a preceptor for continuing education. And I was like, ah, that's fun. That is such a good hot tip. That's a hot tip. Good to know. A general rule of thumb with CEUs too. And Morgan, you can let me know if you think differently, um, for every CEU and I'm going to put an asterisk here. There's always some kind of disclaimer (laughs) always, um, for every CEU charging between 30 and $40. For each, does that feel in alignment with what you anticipate? I think it's more in the business space because things are just more when you're doing, and we'll get into this too, when you're selling business things. But as far as like continuing education, clinical work typically falls in that range at times. I've never thought through the hourly rate for a CEU, actually. I mean, that I know that feels pretty good because I feel like if you're... I always like to equate it of like, what are you making hourly seeing clients one-on-one and making sure that you're at least getting that. 
Ooh. Which that is also fair because let's say you're creating a one hour webinar and it's Mm -hmm. 30 to $40 a person and they get a CEU. Like you would just want to make sure that you network and market to have the amount of clinicians who are paying to see your webinar or your, to get the CEU. Yeah. And that you're compensated for that time. And let's say like two people come and you're like, well, shoot, that's not exactly what I'd get for a clinical hour. Well, let's um, be curious and see what happened and how can you get more people next time? Or can you post it on your website so that it's passively people can buy it? I think it's also important too, to not just count the hour that you're presenting, but the hours that you put into it to create it. Agree. Hopefully it doesn't take too, too much time to create it. I know I feel like for business stuff, I uh, procrastinate until the very last hour and that's when I do my best work. And so like for my EDRD pro presentation, it didn't take me too, too much time. Um, But it will at first, if this is your first time attempting to get a different stream of revenue and you'll become a more efficient over time. You will highly recommend if you're presenting with slides or whatever, creating a template, just copy using that. You know, have a template that's branded to values driven group that you can continue to use. I do have one. Yes. 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 Okay. And we have two more business and non-clinician work. There are ways to make other streams of revenue that don't exactly involve clinical work. Don't always involve other humans paying you. Let's dive in. Yes. This is my wheelhouse since I'm not seeing clients. First few that come to mind are affiliate links. If you, I I think of like Amazon, Amazon has an affiliate program. And so if you are presenting on a specific topic and have book recommendations or product recommendations, you can actually create an affiliate link to send out to people and you can make a little bit of money if they purchase using that link. This is also how influencers make money is they recommend products and you click on the link in their bio and then go buy it and they get a kickback for that. So that's the first one. I would say you need a pretty big following. You need a lot of dedicated supporters in order to actually make a lot of money from that. But it's a great way to, you know, make enough money in the beginning, maybe to go grab a coffee. So could definitely be a stream. Kind of related to affiliate links, because you're probably going to be using these, is blogging. You'd put your affiliate links in your blog post. And blogging can look a few different ways. It can be a lifestyle blog. Um, I know there was one blog post that was circulating not too long ago. I think it was by Claire Siegel, who's the founder of Flourish. I've mentioned her before on the podcast. And she wrote a blog post about her experience as a dietetic intern. I'm pretty sure it was Claire that did that. And it gained a lot of traction. So it can kind of be a little bit of a lifestyle. If you did like stay in the life of an eating disorder clinician, you could also do recipe blogging. You could write opinion blogs related to the weight inclusive space, intuitive eating, share knowledge. I know clinicians like to use blog posts quite a bit to give, like give to their clients to reflect on Again, probably one that's going to take a little bit of time to build up, but could definitely be a source of income, both with affiliate links and with advertisements on your blog. Absolutely. And any topic, there can be found a product that would be helpful for applying that topic or thinking about that topic to be turned into an affiliate link. So as you think about your specific business, just know like 
you can find something and it's something helpful. You want to be intentional. You don't want to be like, I don't know, this client has an eating disorder. Here is an Apple link. I don't know. Yeah. I also want to say with affiliate links, just to keep it ethical, you need to let people know that they're clicking on an affiliate link. So, you know, I think if you're providing information and recommendations that are really valuable, I don't think people would have an issue clicking on affiliate links, but also just making sure that they know that you might be getting a little bit of money from a purchase they make is important. it's, It's consent. Yes, absolutely. That's a great way to phrase that. What else? What else can you think of when it comes to business and non-clinician related spaces? Yes. So podcasting, which we love, hey can be another stream of revenue. And we are starting to dabble in that. And the ways we do that is looking for sponsors and bringing people in that we think the listeners want to hear. We also do some affiliate links in our show notes, in our email newsletter, and you'll see that we always have posted a little asterisk that says this may contain affiliate links. It doesn't always. Sometimes it's just a link to things we like, but if there's a product and we're like, oh, someone might buy this and oh, we could get like 25 cents or whatever, we just, we link it in there. What are other ways we could monetize the podcast as a stream of revenue? Am I missing anything? For the podcast, I think you touched on everything. That's about everything. We have like kind of like a, like a Patreon, but we've just chose to do the buy me a coffee. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. and eventually we'll send merch or we'll, we'll make merch, sell merch. That's the words I want to use. Sell merch, which is not exclusive to podcasting. I literally just added that to our list because there's some really fun diet culture puns (laughs) that people can create for stickers journals, sweatshirts, t-shirts. I know uh, Kylie Mitchell and I did soft and strong for a few years and got to create some merch for that. And it was so fun. Um, I actually was just talking to a dietitian who created these incredible sweatshirts and I can't say too much about it because she hasn't launched them yet. But as soon as she does, we'll share it on the, the Instagram because they are so good. I'm so excited. And then of course, and then we'll have merch as well related to being an entrepreneur in the weight inclusive business space. Absolutely. And this last part of having streams of revenue related to business and um, not clinical work is having memberships, courses, groups related to business. So for example, values driven group, the membership that I'm launching is a stream of revenue. I'm doing it because I want to connect with other group practice owners and I want to support them and provide education and value, but it will bring in money and it does cost expenses. So that is helpful to have that as a stream of revenue. And the same thing with business coaching, which we both do, like that's a stream of revenue. It's still, that piece is one-on-one work, but at the same time, it's a different stream of revenue, a different headspace to be in. Absolutely. Yeah. And I kind of related to you, I had an idea for an accountability group and I'm launching the accountability words. I'm launching the accountability club in March as just a space for weight inclusive business owners to meet up and make sure they're moving the needle in their business with some accountability and check-ins from other clinicians. Yep. I will be there and you can find the link in our newsletter and we'll put it in the show notes too. Yes, we will. Another one that I wanted to touch on, and it's mainly just one that I'm really fascinated by. And I feel like the idea of being an Instagram influencer sounds really fun. It's a lot of work. I've listened to a lot of content creation podcasts, but 
if that vibes with you, being a content creator and doing creating content, influencing, I guess is the proper term for it on either Instagram or TikTok. I think there needs to be more influencers that are body diverse and just diverse human beings or create inclusive spaces and talk about diet culture. So that could be a way too of getting sponsorships for like a sponsored Instagram post. Um, I know Kind Bars was reaching out to some dietitians a few years ago, eating disorder dietitians and was doing sponsored posts with them, getting to do sponsored posts or uh, TikToks sponsored TikToks, that can be a thing. I think Instagram's probably a little more popular right now with sponsorships, but I think TikTok's moving in that direction. So I think that could be a fun, creative way as well. Definitely something that I'm interested in. If I could put together all the posts on how often I consume Tillamook cheese products, (laughs) I would love to be sponsored by Tillamook. Just going to throw that out in the universe. Sponsor us Tillamook. We love you. We love your cheese and ice cream. It'll be the official snack of the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. (laughs) That and Kind Bars. Just kidding. I actually don't like Kind Bars that much. I don't like nuts that much. Mm. I'd honestly, I have strong feelings about bars in general. I'd rather have a fucking cookie, to be honest. It's like not that different to me. So yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge bar person either. Unless it's a bar of cheese. Okay, the last uh, yeah, the last thing I'll just plug as far as diversifying your income through different revenue streams. And the reason I'm just going to say what it is is because we'll at some point do a whole podcast episode and maybe bring a guest on that's more expertise in this area is investments. So when we think about investments, that's like a 401k, a Roth IRA, a SEP, all of those kinds of things that you put money into and it grows over time which is a revenue stream. And it's going to take care of you 20, 30, 40, 50, whenever your goals of retirement are, it's going to take care of that person. So it's really important. It is a revenue stream. And we will definitely bring on a guest to dive in that more because it is a lot. I'm so excited for the potential of bringing a guest on because I there's so much more that I can learn about that that I do not know. I was literally talking to someone today I went to go get lunch with and they were like, you should... Uh, see if you can like buy into some, this one company's stock. And I'm like, I don't even know what, like, I, I wouldn't even reach out to them. Cause I don't even know how to phrase that. What? <laughs> <laughs> can you help me do the thing with your company that makes money? Thank you. Thank you. So those are some different ways. If you're a solo clinician, a group practice owner, or clinician in a group practice, wanting to provide continuing education, doing businessy, non-clinician related things and investments. And if there's one we forgot about, please email us and let us know because maybe we want to do it. Yes, absolutely. My last question for you, Hannah, is there ever a time where you should not look into diversifying your income? Ooh, yes. Okay. One big thing that I say about anything we do is if you don't love to do it, you cannot just do it for the money. So like if you hate blogging, do not blog for money. You will be so miserable and you probably aren't going to create the content that's going to bring people to where you could get an audience that supports sponsors. Um, You really need to enjoy doing it because it's about the long game. It's not an instant stream of revenue. It's something that you have to be consistent with and work at and be willing to not make the money at first. Wholeheartedly agree with that. 
I would say also probably not a great time to look into diversifying your income if you are not prepared to do so. And we kind of already touched on this, but making sure that you have the experience of what you're wanting to diversify into before you start doing that. And I think it's really tough, right? Because there's definitely some pieces where I think you should just jump into it. For instance, I have no formal training in designing logos. I took to Google and YouTube and bought Adobe Illustrator and created my first logo one day and have grown since then. And I read a lot of branding books. Not a lot. I'm going to retract that statement. I read two branding books (laughs) before I really dove into offering that as a service just to make sure I would say just, well, to make sure that I knew what I was talking about, I also stalked a bunch of other brand designers. I stalked their websites, not them as humans, stalked their websites. Disclaimer. (laughs) Came out wrong. (laughs) I stalked their websites to see what types of things they were offering in their packages and then picked and choose what felt good to me and have, you know, made iterations of that since then. But what do you have to say about preparation? Because I know you have a strong opinion on it as well. Yeah. I mean, preparing is part of having lived experience in some way, whether you you have the business that you're selling business coaching for, or you've done the research and the strategy and the time to where you can do the thing for somebody. Um, there's a little bit of, yeah, of course, at one point you have to jump in and you can't get all this experience without working because then you're working for free and we need to make revenue. And at the same time, like having some experience and that's prep to me. Yeah, absolutely. I would say the other time to not diversify, and I'm speaking about this one from total lived experience. Same. If if you are already overwhelmed with what you've got going on in life, focus on what you've got going on. I, it's such a hard balance, right? Because when I envision my life in three years, there's things that I'm doing now that are financially supporting me that I do not want to be doing in a few years. And so there's definitely a balance of, I have to keep doing some things in order to pay myself and bring in money for the business. And in order to support these new endeavors, while at the same time, knowing that there's going to be some weeks where I literally can't work on new projects because I'm going to be, I'm overwhelmed and I just don't have the capacity. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And an example of where I kind of pull back is Nourish Colorado. My group practice is always going to be my number one priority and it is a mainstream of revenue and it is a mainstream of revenue for other people who work for me. And so if I need to focus a lot more time and energy there. I'm going to put business coaching on the back burner. And that might mean turning off my Calendly link that Morgan showed me how to make (laughs) off for a couple months. And I'm just not going to be taking on anybody and pausing there. So it can always be something you come back to when you're feeling a little bit more stable, but do not spread yourself too thin through overwhelm. Couldn't agree more. Thanks for listening to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the pod on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review, share with a business bestie, and check out our website at weightinclusiveinnovators.com. We'll see you next week.
Bye, everyone.